Hey, thanks for checking out the Grace Chicago Church podcast. The conversation you're about to listen to was recorded in February of 2018 between Davin Youngs, the director of music at Grace Chicago Church, and Charlotte Swanson. It's one of the most fascinating conversations I think you'll ever hear with a, a director of music, the, the worship guy at a church. Um, if you know Davin, you know he's... Um, really invested in in music on a number of different levels and just brilliant in a lot of different ways. And so uh, the conversation that him and Charlotte have is fascinating. They talk about why singing in community is different than singing alone and, and, and how it's a kind of a spiritual experience regardless of what your faith background is. They talk about everything from favorite serials to um, why genre doesn't exist anymore. Um, and he talks about the, the tradition of improvisational singing at Grace Chicago Church, but then kind of in the tradition, uh, the Christian tradition at large, and even even how it's maybe similar to speaking in tongues. It's a really interesting conversation about music and, and how he thinks about music and leading at Grace Chicago Church. So uh, I hope you enjoy this conversation. So let's do this. This I, Actually, this is... I think this you have is a question a, this for is, me. No, this is an Oprah technique. Yeah. Are you ready? <laughs> so what she always asks people is, what do you intend to get out of this conversation? Yeah. yeah. So what do you intend to get out of this conversation? Well, I was actually going to start out with that. Oh, okay, uh, cool. Yeah. Because I, I don't know you. Yeah, sure. Okay. <laughs> Basically, I want to get to know you. Awesome. Great. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> and um, are we recording? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Great. <laughs> uh, yeah, I feel like that's maybe a position that... Um, other people in the church might be into because I, I I mean I don't know if you know our story but we we were at Grace for a year and then left mm-hmm. for five years and then came back yeah so I feel like I know like little snippets basically watching from the, the audience yeah. you know what I mean so I'm I'm curious so I wanted to start out with a um a really personal telling yeah. question uh, what's your favorite breakfast cereal <laughs> um my my favorite versus what I eat most often. Mm. So I love a good um, uh, like. So the what I eat most often is the healthy choice, which is the kashi. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> kashi with yogurt and honey is like my jam. But gets you going. I want Lucky way. Charms is what I actually want to <laughs> eat every. <laughs> well, I don't get. But when you go to the grocery store, Lucky Charms is always on sale. Yes, it's like they're trying to make it accessible yeah. to people but it's already accessible to people <laughs> that's what everyone wants <laughs> well and i want it and i want to not eat the marshmallows until the last bite yeah, so i'm gonna right. save all of those yes, yeah. of marshmallows. <laughs> um can you just give a brief sort of bio for yourself um where you're from yeah that sure. sort of thing just to sort of get us started yeah so um i grew up in southwestern michigan as many Chicagoans. I'm from the Midwest. Um, and I am from a town called Otsego, which is near Kalamazoo, Michigan. And I spent, you know, all of my youth there and then went to Ohio to school um, at Oberlin. And then after Oberlin, moved to Chicago and I've been here ever since. So that's been about the length of my time at Grace, 15 years. And uh, I... Um, currently live in the Printers Row neighborhood okay. of Chicago and yeah just didn't necessarily intend to stay in the city for as long as I have I thought maybe it would be like a stepping stone to New York or something but yeah that happens where you realize that this is a really 
there's a lot of wonderful uh, character traits of Chicago in terms of convenience and yeah. community and the real nature of the Midwestern spirit um, that's kept me here. Yeah, no, that's a good that's a good way to put it. Actually, I think Chicago has things that New York doesn't have, and most people think I think New York is everything. You know what I mean? Like right. for an artist, yeah, but it does. It's a it's a it's a kind of a big little town. Yeah, it has affordable housing. Is what yeah. it has. <laughs> <Very key. laughs> that's huge. Very important. Um, cool. Um, and then, so this is my. Embarrassingly, uh, I don't really know anything about what yeah. you do during the week, and we're sitting here in your lovely studio. Yeah, um, you have a lot of space. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting uh, artwork and things on the walls. Can you just tell us a little bit about what your what your week is like? What do you do? Yeah, other than grace stuff. So my primary, the thing I do the most hours on any given week are is teach private voice lessons. So I have a business called Davin Young's Voice, which is primarily focused on offering private singing instruction to individuals who want to pursue it, whether they be amateurs who want to explore their voice um, or professionals who are pursuing performance. Uh, so that's what I'm doing most often, and I have the studios in downtown Chicago in this cool building called the Fine Arts Building, which has a lot of... Another thing, this building does not exist in other cities. Uh, it used to exist in places like New York where artists would live in Carnegie, um, but... Yeah, so I'm really fortunate to have this space. So that happens. Then also I um, have a company called Voxus, which is um, focused on bringing the improvised singing experience to corporate groups. Um, so what that means is I help groups spontaneously create song, uh, people specifically who might not traditionally sing together. And so that's kind of been a new endeavor for me. Um, and that's not, that's kind of a somewhat infrequent um, but high, higher pressure situation than yeah. the private singing experience. Um, so that's another of my focus. And then I host uh, bi-monthly, which I learned recently means can mean twice a month, but also means every other month. Um, bi-monthly gathering called Circle Singing, which is a community singing experience where people learn to improvise in community and sing together. So most of my week is focused on song and bringing yeah. people bringing people into the singing experience from a lot of different angles. Okay. And is it particularly people who are not, maybe not used to singing or... Yeah, both that's and. That's kind of... Okay. Both and. Yeah. yeah, the bulk, I mean, the bulk of my time is spent with that community or people who haven't necessarily felt affirmed as singers in yeah. the past. Um, but I also work with professionals who are working on recording an album or getting ready for a performance or just want to know better how to use their... In instrument. I also work with people who have um, vocal injury or pathology, so something has gone wrong with their voice, and I have a relationship with an otolaryngologist, which is a throat doctor yeah. here in Chicago, and they refer clients to me where I work with people who are recovering from vocal nodules or polyps um, in a, using the singing lesson experience also as a therapeutic or physical therapeutic experience. Yeah. Can, you, can you name drop? No, <laughs> that, that will be off limits. <laughs> no, but I mean, it, it's it, you would be shocked at the. I mean, I I marvel when I look at a day. So there are days on the max day I have ten appointments, and I look at the varied group of people who walk through the door, and it's shocking. Like it is shocking when I look at it from people from every creed and culture, and societal position, um, and it, and I used to. 
you know, when I was young, I used to be nervous about, like, singing didn't seem cool to me. Um, and then I got over that. <laughs> and I realized that every, it's, like, very, um, it's, it's essential to the human experience. Uh, the voice yeah. is. And so that's why I think, I think my experience, maybe a therapist has a similar experience, but my experience on any given day with a 13-year-old who is just learning about their voice after they've gone through puberty to a 50-year-old who feels like they have, you know, never heard their voice fully to a performer who has been touring for, you know, 15 years and now can't make a sound due to injury. You know, it's it's incredible yeah. the the varied experience, the human experience that walks through the door. It is a very human instrument somehow. I mean it's I mean obviously it's it is comes from us, but it doesn't require any external piece, you right. know? So it is and it and it's so vulnerable. Because of that. Yeah. I was working with a gentleman yesterday who had had a lot of experience on a number of different instruments, guitar, um, mandolin, violin um, and we were talking about he just he's probably in his 60s and just recently joined a choir for the first time never even sang while he was playing the instruments but he was talking about the first time that he heard the voices coordinate in harmony and like how she just immediately started crying mm -hmm. and um, and he was so shocked by that but there is something different about the music making experience as a singer from any other instrument and that's because it's of the body it's of the self mm -hmm. and um you know instrumentalists like to not fully acknowledge that <laughs> you know singing is not different it's just but it really is it's it's not um it's the most exposed form of communication musical communication yeah i, I definitely i grew up in a family with um, musicians, mostly vocalists, and uh, I was the least musical of mm. everyone, but I loved to sing. But every time I tried to perform, I just completely flopped because because of that, because I couldn't disconnect the vulnerability and the, the fear of standing in front of people and, then, you know, projecting your voice. It's, it's, it's a very frightening thing. Um, but it, it also, the my other experience of singing is in a choir, and mm -hmm. it's, an, it's that is an amazing spiritual experience, whether you're spiritual or not. Mm -hmm. You feel totally bonded with these other people. Yes. Um, yeah, which is it's a really, really cool. Which I think, like, the so that's a part of the traditional church experience, too. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so I think if you grow up in the church, there's an inherent knowledge of that. Um, whether you liked it or not, mm -hmm. you know, because there there can be negative. The vulnerability can cause a lot of negative um, response in people. But that's what when you bring that to the out. So so people of faith typically use their voices in song together in most traditions. Um, so in some ways, to me, that's very exciting to take that outside of the church space, and that's part of the reason I'm committed to improvisation as a tool because it allows people of any faith background or any singing experience into that experience quickly. And it is inherently sacred mm -hmm. <laughs> regardless of what you believe, yeah. because there are so many ways in which we only have experiences of our voice individually, um, that when we hear them in community, it's like the, the power is profound yep. for better, for worse. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's beautiful. Hmm. So, 
uh, you alluded to this a little bit. Can you just talk a little bit about your your musical background and sort of what drew you to music? And because you said as a as a young person, maybe you thought that it wasn't very cool. Yeah, but, uh, well, so I've always <laughs> done it. I mean, yeah. I think that was more like my teenage and young twenties self yeah. trying to sort out what it meant for me um, professionally, but. Uh, so I grew up, I'm the son of a minister, as many, many singers are, mm-hmm. and so I grew up making music in church from an incredibly young age. I think the first time I sang in front of a group, I was like two and a half years old. It's, it kind of blows my mind that I was singing words in front of people at that age in tune. So it's always been a part of my experience. Um, and then I pursued it you know, with a lot of vigor throughout high school and college with the intention of becoming an opera singer. Um, I attended a conservatory for music where I fully thought that I would pursue that kind of a stage career. And as happens to many 21-year-olds, I suffered from that first existential crisis where I was like, what am I doing? I don't want to be an opera singer. (laughs) What does it all mean? (laughs) Um, So it's interesting. The only, I'd say that, that, so the church music stayed consistent throughout all of that. I was always participating in church music, in faith-based music, in some capacity, whether that be in choral singing or in leading or in like you know praise and worshipy stuff. Um, I've been through every iteration of how Christian faith music plays out in front of a group, and so after college, when I moved to Chicago. Um, and was in the midst of what am I doing and I was working in an office that was actually when I discovered Grace and started making music at Grace and at that time there was no singer Um, our previous music music director James Falzone was literally leading the congregation with his clarinet um, which was something I'd never seen anyone do before I don't think anyone had ever seen anyone do that before (laughs) Um, another iteration of the church music experience so so since then, I have really, I mean, in those last 15 years, like my whole musical self has transformed completely. And I don't sing classically. Um, I can, but I don't love to do it anymore. I really am interested in more contemporary music styles. And specifically, um, improvisation is really exciting to me right now because it doesn't have style or genre attached to it. Yeah. Which actually, to me, relates to my experience in the church setting. It's like the actual act is a sacred act and it's um, vulnerable and miraculous and when mm-hmm. we can really tap into the freedom of that. That's the, the only thing I'm interested in right now is like getting to that space routinely. It doesn't matter what style of music. It's just like, how do I most quickly get to that feeling yeah. of connection mm-hmm. you know as a musician yeah so i work with musicians you know to do musical theater or rock or pop or r&b or gospel um, and i myself sing in those various styles yeah. too um but i've learned that style is kind of like something created by the music industry <laughs> you know and that mm-hmm. it's not what we connect with the most we connect yeah. with the human mm-hmm Heart. So that's kind of where I am right now. Is like still ex- even exploring that in myself. Like, hmm. What does that mean? Do you think that's reflected in, in um, uh, maybe different types of music that have become more popular in recent years? That uh, there's sort of a little bit of a backlash against sort of the poppy, yeah. um, polished uh, music yes. of 
yeah, that, uh, that's highly produced. Yeah. I mean, you still definitely, like, that's predominant. If you turn on the radio now, you'll hear highly produced, right. you know. And actually, it's, yeah, right, Caleb and I were just in the lift hearing that song. I can't even remember. But, like, Desposito, think about that. I mean, it's, like, the biggest song of all time, and it's incredibly <laughs> produced. Yeah, it's um, still there. But what's so interesting now is, genre, I mean, this is a very, like, postmodern experience. Like, genre really doesn't matter anymore singers aren't confined to genre yeah um and i would argue that probably young teens right now it's not even like on their they don't even think about it Mm -hmm. it's they're really interested actually in doing that which feels most authentic yeah which i guess again you know we see all these glimpses of hope for the future because i think that's the way that it should be that being said whenever anything is commodified (laughs) you have to package it and label it in a way that it's consumable so um so we still find those categories exist and that will be that way. But I do think you hear, you know, it used to be like, I just even think back like 10 years ago, the word indie meant something completely different than it means now. I mean, indie used to mean that you were outside of the mainstream, yeah. but now indie is the mainstream, is, right? you know, and, yeah. and, and what does that even mean? Like, what does it mean? But it still does mean something to me if someone says, well, I'm more into indie music versus rap or um, but there's tons of indie rap, right? Or like, it's so, it's so, yeah, yeah. we live in a fascinating time yeah. around style yeah. and what that means. Right. Yeah, that is. And I feel like I don't, I don't really have a way to put my finger on or, uh, take the temperature of that. Like, I think right. you do have to kind of talk to teens right, to know what really is. Cause that's when everyone discovers their music, you know. That's when you're like hungry. Yeah. Right. You know, like because because there is an identity piece around that. Yeah. You know. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so going back to the improv mm-hmm. thing, um, how do you? It's a really interesting idea that that's kind of what you're always seeking. Um, how does that happen? How does that work in a church setting for you, or at, at Grace specifically? <clears throat> So, I'm really, one of the biggest blessings of my life is that James was the music director at Grace before I was, because I, um, I don't know, I mean, he just, like, I think that this conversation has been, I don't think I'm stepping out of turn saying any of this, but their, Bob and James' intention when they started was just to let James do James through the music, and... But it was always drawing on historical traditions. Absolutely. There was nothing outside of church music traditions, but there was a lot really outside of the contemporary experience. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so I just count that a great blessing because on James brought in very early on improvisation as a part of the grace music experience. And when very early on we would take scripture and he would compose like these chordal... Um, paths or colors and we would like make stuff up over the top of it and I had a number of times where I would have a psalm and I would just improvise the psalm um, in the service yeah yeah yeah. and we had you know we had the framework of the chords that were going to happen but we didn't have the melody Um, so those were the some of the very earliest ways in which improvisation was brought into church and truth be told like I had never experienced that before James introduced me, but that does come very much out of the song tradition, the psalm tradition. You know, those, those the the singer, the performer, um, getting up in front and sharing a unique melody that was only of them. You know, some of it spontaneous, some of it composed, but 
composition as a tradition that's actually been written on paper is so young. Mm -hmm. You know, the oral tradition mm -hmm. of sharing um, a song and people learning it by ear. And what happens with that is that those songs always change over time. Because when you share something and you try to remember your version, and then you share it with, mm -hmm. you know, someone else, et cetera, et cetera, it yeah. changes. So, um, so that be, can, that can be the, that's like the, can be the origin of improvisation in a way. It's like, I don't know exactly how this goes, but I think it's something like this. And so improvisation by its very nature is always drawing from a vocabulary. So it is not making it up. Yeah. It's drawing on the human experience and the vocabulary, vocabulary of your experience that you developed over time. And I think that it even goes deeper and that I think that we can tap into the Holy Spirit that, you know, supersedes all tradition. Um, and you might find this like if, you know, if you were to think about kind of an extreme version of this, you think about the tradition of speaking in tongues where people get up in front and the, the sounds that come out of them are spontaneous and right. they are, you know, perceived to be from the Holy Spirit. Right. Um, and that got a bad rap, honestly. I think in the contemporary church that felt a little kooky for people. But I think there was probably a lot of, I mean, there's a reason that that emerged because that, that feeling of like the freedom of actually letting whatever was going to come out, come out. Um, I'm sure that was, you know, really power has been really powerful. So in our setting, it's somewhere in between all of that, mm -hmm. where we, we use a lot of composed music, but there's, we never, I mean, you probably know this, but like any song we ever do, we've never done it that way before <laughs> on a Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. So there's always an element of improvisation in that we, the arrangements change all the time. They, um, the instrumentation so even though there are only three of us, like the the way in which we use the instrument together, there's no set idea when I go in. I shouldn't say that completely. I have an idea, but there's no there's the uh, the desired outcome is always the most spontaneous of the moment outcome is what I want. Yeah. And then like on a really um, basic since I'm always improvising in between songs, so like we're always making music up, drawing from our vocabulary as an underpinning for the text or the homily or what have you, the spoken parts. And that, that is, again, something that James really set as the tone for our service historically. How do you do that with two, three, uh, two other people? You know, how, I mean, how, can you can, how do you communicate with them on the fly like that? I mean, maybe this is this is jazz musicianship one hundred and one that I don't know, but you know, how does that work? Um, I think I think you and I could do it right now. <laughs> Doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's as simple as conversation. Huh. There are rules and codes of the conversation, and that same is true of music. So mm -hmm. it's not without structure. There's a vocabulary and a structure that has okay, that has yeah. emerged. It's not completely free. No situation is. We're bound to these bodies and this space and yeah. this time. Huh. So we know. You know. You know. Even though you and I don't know each other well, we have a certain context right. that we're bringing to this. So the way in which we're responding to each other right now in conversation is is in line with that. Right. And the same is true with music. And if I just set down a couple of rules, a couple of guidelines, a couple of structures, you would, if you would allow yourself. 
find the freedom to do that in the moment. Mm. Now, the cool thing about the three of us who are there most often, which is um, Tim Mulvena and Ben Lansing and me, is that we have spent so much time together, the language runs deep. So, um, you know, Tim and I have been at Grace 15 years. And so, um, for 14 years. Uh, And so we know each other on a very deep level even though we generally don't see each other outside of Sunday but that repetition is so huge the comfortability that comes Absolutely. comes with that so that doesn't really answer your question in kind of like a straightforward way but I do think if you can understand that music is conversation yeah. music is language and that if you understand the parameters of the language you can certainly dance within it yeah it's interesting that I think most people think of improv improvisation as sort of boundless or limitless mm-hmm. but really it's it's kind of the exact opposite absolutely it's, it's all about the limits because imagine where, the pressure get, yeah if you felt it was limitless <clears throat> imagine the pressure yeah right but it's it is but there's an infinite inside the finite mm-hmm. yeah you know what i mean absolutely. like i think that that piece for me is always the most exciting part is that i you know can't it's remarkable to me that our songs come out different every sunday like, I'm shocked by it. Because mm-hmm. we often... So generally before church, we'll get together and we'll play the music. And, you know, it's the same chords. It's the same song. And I'll say, Ben, you know, what instrument did you bring today? <laughs> you know, it'll be some some crazy guitar thing. And Tim's got his drum set with some other bell thing. Or, and, and we just play it. And we play around with it. And then we get done and we're like, well, we've never done it that way before. Yeah. And then we do that in the service, you know. Um, and it's always a surprise to us. You know, I don't know that that's going to come out of me. Yeah. Um, but it always feels right, too. And that like, happens on a Sunday morning before the service. Like, you don't get together on a Wednesday night. And have it's a, true. And I, wow. and I count that a great blessing and privilege. And I don't, I don't negate how much skill that takes. Like, that, that is the result of hours of practice. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, I'm so fortunate, so fortunate. Yeah. to have those two guys to be able to do that yeah um because it's not always the case <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> definitely know that um yeah so that's really cool um what then what drew you well let me move on from that um how do you see your role then as as the Worship. Well, what would what, what can you tell me what your title is? And... <laughs> yeah, that is a good question. So I'm called the music director right now, okay. um, which does beg a number of questions about role. Mm-hmm. It's actually I would say it's the the title I'm most comfortable with right now mm-hmm. on a personal level. This is where the personal stuff comes in because I think the role is complex. Mm-hmm. Um, I do not see myself as a pastor. I don't see myself as a pastor. That doesn't mean I would never be a pastor, but currently, yeah. I don't feel like that. On kind of a uh, a terminology that might feel familiar, I do see myself as a facilitator. Um, I see what I do is creating a space and holding a space with intention um, and shaping the worship through that. Um, and I think music probably does that more than anything else can. <laughs> you know, like, the, like 
especially like when you're given so our service is very structured like it, there's a format that we follow every sunday and it doesn't change dramatically and so that the ancient tradition of that is profound um there's a reason that we do that <laughs> uh although our format is a little bit different in that we put communion at the center of the worship experience which is different than a number of church experiences but from there how do you create spontaneity <laughs> you know how do you create life how do you breathe life into it the tradition brings like a natural life to it but many people have gone to church and felt that those that feeling of staleness around all the words yeah um and so you know the minister is partially uh challenged with the fact that they have to breathe new life through with the experience with their words um and the musician though i think can can do it in a truly um in a faster way let me just put it that way i think the fastest way in is music it's the most efficient <laughs> way in to that because of the universality of the experience of of music um because people don't have to believe, they don't have to believe in our faith to enjoy our music. Yeah. So anyone can walk into that yeah. sacred tradition and participate in the experience. So I think I'm tasked with holding that down every Sunday. And I think that I'm tasked with specifically not performing, mm. um, which I think is so hard for most of us most of the time. Um, I'm tasked with removing ego as much as possible from that time. Yeah. yeah. Um, because uh, that can get in the way so fast. And then finally, I think that the thing, I was actually like, I've been thinking about this lately. Like, I'm s supposed to draw the congregation into singing. Because <laughs> that's the, you can sit and enjoy the music, but the participatory element of singing is probably the most important community aspect of what it is that we do. So that has to do with, are the songs singable? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Can people understand the melodies easily? If we challenge them, is it how much of a challenge is it? Um, do um, Is there a familiarity in what we do? Uh, do they feel safe mm -hmm. in what we do? those pieces I'm always kind of sorting through in my choices yeah. of the hymns. Yeah, how do you... Um, so so let's say, say you're looking at two different songs or, or something. How, how does that then play into how you choose one song over another? Yeah. Um, I mean, again, this goes back to that improvisation piece. So I have rules for myself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I should probably not. I've actually started to break these a little bit. But, um, so first of all, I look at the scripture for Sunday, and I see if there are any keywords. See if there are any, because we have a canon of songs that we do. We have a hymn. We have a, I have a Dropbox folder. Mm. <laughs> it's a, the, the ancient tradition of Dropbox. <laughs> um, so we have hymns in there. And I do, and I have sorted those out in the, there are times I get rid of stuff. I'm like, you know, this needs a break. Yeah. <laughs> And honestly, like, I'm more recently challenged by the words. I'm like, does this actually resonate with us now? Um, mm. But, 
so I look at the scripture keywords and then I start to gather hymns that we have from our canon that feel like they connect with the words of the scripture for this week. Then I want people to have varied experiences. So I want them to have more, um, I mean, if you were to think about it in contemporary music terms, like I want them to have a ballad experience <laughs> where they sing a ballad. Yeah. I want them to have an energized experience. Yeah. And honestly, like on the front end of the service, usually you'll find the first hymn is upbeat. Yeah. Because um, that I, just to call people into the space to say this is going to be an energetic experience. Because the bulk of our service is pretty contemplative, contemplative yeah. um, compared to most churches, I think. Uh, it's not rowdy. <laughs> and so, uh, so I, those are kind of some of the structures that I put in place for myself. And, and then um, I just trust that the rest is up to God. Because <laughs> yeah. there are Sundays where we'll have scripture where I'm just like, I don't know what to do. I mean, I really am like... Actually, it was a couple weeks ago. I remember it, yeah. I was like, seriously? I mean, this scripture is rough. There's no song that's going to... But it was kind of crazy. I forgot what song we did, but it really worked. And I was like, oh, that's of God. Yeah. Like, that's, the, that's like the Holy Spirit working in a way that I didn't know that was going to happen because the song still resonated yeah. um, with me anyway. And so... So there is an element that's definitely outside of my control. Yeah. Uh, and there's certainly times I do songs that just, I'm like, people, <laughs> it didn't click. Like, mm -hmm. that's not, that's not clicking. Um, so it's, it's a, it's a crapshoot in some mm -hmm. ways. Yeah. But I do feel like we have forms that I can trust in. Do you sort of adjust things? If you kind of get that feeling, like you're from your seat and you look out at the, at the audience, but not the audience, but the congregation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, what do you see and, and kind of how does that affect your... Yes. And I do think that me... I think that my experience both as a singer and a leader gives me that edge. So the way that shows up in really practical terms is tempo. Mm. So if the song feels too slow, people feel like they're not able to like sustain the pitches. Um, if the energy feels like it's dragging. That's the beauty of the band is we can kind of like... Let's kick that up a notch. Um, it used to be like in the, you know, in the organ tradition, it's like you'd get stuck in these beats that were slow and long and dragging, you know, and that's not always the case. There's certainly skilled organists that know how to, but I can think of a number of church experiences where I'm like, oh my, are we like really going to do this, this, at this tempo? Um, because I can't sing it, you know. Yeah, right. um, so that's one element. The key of the song is in. I really understand the function of the voice as it relates to, you know, different sex, um, male and female, yeah. using their voice in that space. So I understand. And I think that that's hard. It used to be that keys of songs were much higher. Um, and that has a lot to do with the way in which specifically, well, way in which we use our voices. Now, now contemporarily, we use our voices in a much more speech-driven right. way. So the keys have to be in a place that would match where a man could reasonably talk and a woman could reasonably, reasonably talk. So sometimes I'll, that's sometimes I'll be like, if that song didn't work. Actually, last Sunday, the Kyrie Eleison. Were you in church on Sunday? Was, yeah. Do you remember that? So as after communion... So I wrote this Kyrie because I was like, I really want to introduce this Latin text over Lent. And I was really excited about it. And um, it didn't, the key was wrong. It was too low. Mm. It didn't have enough energy underneath it. And I still stand by the melody as being good, but I'm going to try it again in a higher key. Maybe you all can notice this, see if you experience it differently. Because there are better and worse keys. Yeah. Um, because you want to get outside of your speaking voice range. 
because it's more than speech. Like you want to touch areas of your voice that you wouldn't touch when you're talking. Yeah. That's what's going to move it into a singing experience. Um, and I felt like that specifically was too spoken. People weren't able to energize it. Yeah. It's so interesting that as you're saying all this, I, I'm just thinking about the service and I, I think it must be a, a testament to you guys that I don't really, I don't have any um, sense of what you guys are doing in yeah. a sense. You know what yeah. I mean? And may, I think that's a good, I think that's a really good thing. I it do sounds, too. I, no. It sounds bad. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 but, no that's exactly uh, But I've I never, I've never, and I've been in lots of services where um, you're just like watching them all the time and like wondering what they're going to do mm-hmm. and what, and you know, what's, what's in their brain and um but I'm just focused on singing, you know? Yeah, no, that's the best thing I could hear. And I, But you also know, like, you've been in churches where it doesn't work. Right. You know, and that's that to me is, um, like, it needs to be a safe space for experimentation. Don't yeah. get me wrong. I don't want it to work all the time. Like, it really shouldn't work sometimes. Yeah. But I need to always have ego out of the way enough so that we respond to what the congregation needs. Mm-hmm. Not what the, we're not there to serve the music were there to serve like the experience of making the music collectively and participating through worship. Um, so that's been interesting. I mean, honestly, like, so I'm writing a lot more than I ever have in my life. And that piece is complicated around that for me. It's like, um, cause a lot of times I end up writing because I can't find something that connects with what I'm trying to connect with. Um, and so, uh, so last Sunday, this is where I'm starting to break my own rules. So last Sunday was an all Davin Young's composition Sunday. I don't know if anyone noticed that, but that's the first time I've ever done that. So we only sang songs I that I wrote. I actually did notice that. Oh, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> so I was thinking about that because, I mean, there's some, like, fear around that, not in yeah. terms of, like, will you guys like it, but is that really serving the service best? Um, but in some ways, I'm really excited about that because I think that those songs, even though I wrote them, are coming out of the community. Mm. My experience, my long experience with the community. So, um, so, I mean, in some way, someday, I would love for us to have all songs that we did that were Grace songs. You know, with, of course, drawing from, yeah. you know, we don't want to limit ourselves. But, but I, I love that idea. Like, what if we had our songs that, like, really represented who we have come to be as a community. I mean, to me, that's a very exciting prospect. Um, but yeah, again, like even with that, I kind of don't want people to notice, right? Like, I mean, I appreciate that you did. I did. I'm flattered this, that you did. <laughs> this conversation, I Yeah, but I think a lot of people probably didn't, you know, no, because it's like, oh, we just do those songs, you know, yeah. and that's, that's what I want them yeah. to have the experience of. Yeah. Um, so can you maybe take one of the songs that you've written recently and talk a little bit about more about that um the idea that the song comes from your experience at grace yeah Um, or not a specific one maybe you don't have a specific one in mind but well a lot of what i've been doing is taking old texts and resetting them because there's you know you don't (laughs) you don't need to fix what ain't broke and some of those old texts are so rich i marvel at some of the words that people are able to put together also, um, rhyme. <laughs> a lot of texts. The the what's it called? Pen. 
Pentameter? Yes, thank you. I, I was going to say pen, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that kind of stuff, like, it really works for group singing, yeah. right? There's huh. a reason that that emerged throughout time. Um, so, so that's a lot of what I've been doing. But there's a song, actually, that we're going to do Sunday that's called Slaves to Righteousness, <laughs> which sounds like the most amazing metal song ever. <laughs> um, it's not. But that came out of a scripture... Do you know the passage? Like Romans? Yeah. It's definitely a Romans passage. Maybe Romans 8? Yes, I believe so, yeah. yeah. Um, that, when I first, that we were reading it one Sunday, and I was like, what does that mean? Like, first of all, that word slaves, I was like, that, I mean, the context in a contemporary environment around the word slaves. And then even righteousness, like, I personally have an incredibly negative connotation around the word righteousness. Yeah. And I was thinking that grace is, has traditionally, and this is a tribute to Bob, helped me recontextualize a number of words like that. Mm. Um, and so the song, the gist of the song is we are slaves to righteousness, but that don't mean we get it right. And that's a message straight from Bob to my heart, <laughs> Bob's <laughs> to my heart that I've taken over the years that like that piece is actually the, that's what grace is about. Like, that we don't get it right, but we have this profound connection to all that is good and all that is blessed and all that is well and all that is peaceful and all that is right. Um, so I was like, I'm going to take this and, and play with it. And uh, I'm, like, stoked about that hymn. I think that hymn is, I've never heard anything uh, verbally like that. I yeah. think that it's a really unique uh, piece and I don't think you would hear that at another church mm. um, I, that's probably sounds super if I went okay if you don't go to Grace and you're listening to this <laughs> <laughs> no I'll own that I don't think you would hear that at another church yeah it's a pretty straight shooting song I mean, yeah right yeah. Wait, which so uh, what what sort of musical traditions did you draw from so I would say that that song is a little bit more like folk contemporary rock I mean, it's not, it's not super invent. It's certainly not inventive in terms of the chord structures, which is intentional because the words are pretty intense, mm -hmm. you know, last Sunday though, we did, I love this text. If thou but suffer God to guide thee. And so that song traditionally is a really, it's like a chant, like ballad. If thou but suffer God to guide thee. And that's a song we used to always sing at grace. And I always found it really hard to sing. I think the mm -hmm. congregation really struggled to sing it because it's a dirge in some ways, as the words kind of ask of it. Um, but anyways, what would you call that song now? I don't know. Like It was like funky, right? <laughs> well, I, I was going to say it reminds me of um, like Jewish folk Yeah, music, okay, cool. Which is kind of... Jewish folk. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the the idea behind it. I, th I mean, behind the words. Mm -hmm. In many ways, that's a, that seems like... The Old Testament tradition. Very much a Hebrew idea, yeah. Absolutely. And again, like I would say, so in composing that new melody, not even in my sphere of understanding that that was going to come out like that. I was like, I love this text. This text is crazy and mystical. Yeah. And like, we need to sing this text. What else is in me that might revitalize that text? And so what came out, I was honestly like, I could probably find a new voice memo. I was like on the side of the street and I'm like, if thou would suffer God to guide thee. So I'm like in my head, I'm like, oh, okay. And then I, you know, and then one day I just risked it and I put it in front of the band. <laughs> and I was like, oh, it works. But that to me is a stretch song. 
So I'm only going to do one of those on a Sunday because hmm. I think that that's really far outside of most people's church music experience, singing that. Hmm. It also ends on a, what's, uh, on a major chord and the whole rest of the song is minor, um, which is every time you're like, wait, what? It's jarring, um, and but also a relief. <laughs> the end. How does the end go? Uh, can, you, can you pull that out? <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, You'd yeah. have to hear the actual recording yeah, yeah, no, to, that, to yeah. understand that. But yeah. but suddenly you're like like the heavens emerge with light in the midst of this dark. Yeah, time. that's like, exactly what it sounds you know, like. The, yeah. the children lost in the wilderness come to the edge of the wilderness, and the light is reflecting through, or something like that. Yeah. But I would say, you know, I think. Um, I think that this is so important is that that's one of the beautiful pieces of grace is that I can do that. I don't get any negative feedback. I'm always amazed because I do think that that's probably like some people are probably like, what is this? You know, like um, some people are like, yeah, this is cool. Let's rock to it. Yeah. But people are tremendously open to those experiences with songs like that. So and that is a testament to the grace community. That is not. To, yeah. to church community in general. I think it's a kind of a, a um, it, it's a self-creating cycle, sort of. Like you, you, the the music draws certain people, and and then those people create the culture, which allows yes. you to have certain, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's not just the music that draws certain people, but it's all kind of part of the same culture, yeah. I think. Um, hmm. How would you describe the music that we do? Uh, I jazzy comes to mind. That's okay. the first first <laughs> I first thought. I mean, in terms of music, jazzy, funky. Yeah. Um, although I hate that word. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, with a little bit of blues. Okay. Yeah. But I think what I what I really like about the music at Grace and and the in the service I guess is is that it does have these historical elements mm. it's really important to me to have both because mm-hmm. I grew up in a pretty contemporary style yep. church service and there was always something kind of missing I felt like so I love I love what you said about the the richness of so many of these old hymns and yeah I mean that if, if people walk away because Actually, they don't need to know that, but I think we could, those are the things you sense on a much deeper level than you might even be aware of in the moment. Yeah. When things feel like they're grounded in something that runs deeper than, um, I think actually things that run deeper than your personal experience. Like when it feels like it's tapping something you don't know, but exactly. you know on a, a deeper level. Yeah. Like I heard, um, I, I've been really on this kick reading this guy named John Philip Newell recently who's a contemporary like theologian and teacher but oh I hope I don't mess this quote up but he said that the teacher's job is to articulate that to the student which they already know Hmm. and that to me is what the music should do that the style shouldn't matter that I'm able to draw you into an experience that um, moves past your age or your 
or your gender or your tradition and moves you into a, a deeper experience of yourself, which is then bringing you closer to God and mm-hmm. God's love and grace mm-hmm. for you, bringing you closer to that which is is most true about how you're loved. The bedrock. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that to me is... But honestly... Most people aren't going to know that, yeah. and they don't need to, <laughs> because just by occupying the, the space, mm-hmm. they will have experienced it. Yeah, yeah, because I think that speaks to this kind of the two sides, maybe, of a service. Mm. There's, like, the intellectual side, which is the sermon, and maybe even, well, the Eucharist kind of bridges mm-hmm. that. But then the, the other side is this sort of emotional, psychological side that maybe is not even articulate articulatable mm-hmm. you know um and here yeah. my devil's advocate part would just say too like that well, i don't know if this is devil's advocate but so some people prey on that or manipulate yeah. that mm-hmm. that emotional element needs to be cared for and upheld uh, in a really safe way that is only possible through grace because you can take music as a means to manipulate your emotional outcome for people too. Yeah. Uh, and that's where I think, and that's where maybe, you know, what you mentioned earlier is being other in other worship experiences where it's like, there's something missing. Like there's some, there's something, um, I just think it always goes back to intention. Like there's some intention mm-hmm. missing mm-hmm. in this that I'm not, I'm not feeling, I'm not connecting with, um, and so I'm always, I'm nervous about, music holds such profound power. It does, yeah. You know, and as a kid, I, I, that, um, I was aware of that at such a young age, of like what it was to stand up in front of a group and sing. I mean, it really, um, it can do a lot <laughs> for better and for worse. And so that's where intention for me really is so important. Um, some, going back to something you said, and I think this connects to what you were just saying, um, you said that you your, one of your roles is to draw people into singing, and I thought it was interesting that you didn't say draw people into worship. Is that Was that an intentional distinction? Or do you know, or how, how do you think about worship, per se, uh, as, an act, as an act? <laughs> This is part two of the podcast. Yeah. Um, okay, so personal opinion that singing is one of the purest forms. One of the most direct forms of worship. Right. Personal opinion, people do not have to agree with that. Um, because it is of the self and because it is... Um, I mean that when I say, like, it's your body making the sound. Right. <laughs> right? It's like, it is you. There ain't nothing between you and it. I, capital, <laughs> I, capital T. So, um, so I think that there is a feeling of, um, worship to me is participation. Mm. And there is a feeling of activeness. Yeah in singing that is not achieved in any other way. I wonder if dance is close. I used to always say that singing and dance are like sisters because of the somatic element, because of the body element, it's embodied to do it. Um, 
but the activity to me in singing is so multi-dimensional that I think even if you don't even if you don't fully participate in it um, I think it's really can be so transformative in a collective environment in the church space especially now their worship is much richer than my view so do you know what I mean like I believe that plenty of other people have <laughs> uh, a, a number of experiences um, that sit outside of my limited scope and view but I, maybe it's because actually maybe it's this that's what I'm as a leader that's what I'm going to do best hmm. so why don't I just own that that that's what I, that's my biggest gift is to lead people into the experience of singing collectively and so since I know that about myself, that's I'm going to just own that path um, and allow people to experience anything extrinsic, anything around that that they can. But that's yeah. that's what I'm going to do best. Um, yeah, and I probably have to think about that a lot more because that came out subconsciously. And obviously my lens is always going to be, I'm a singer. Mm-hmm. That's my lens. It's always going to be that. Um, but yeah. I think that's that's a really key thing, though. Um, uh, I think worship and, and, and church in general can be really overthought um, in the sense that you're, you have, like, this goal in mind that you're trying to achieve, and so you, everything is kind of trying, you're trying to, like, get to that point. Um, so how do you do that? Do you close your eyes? Do you raise your arms while you're singing so that everyone else feels comfortable? Or, you know, like, what is, what is it? How do you create the emotional atmosphere? Um, but you're just talking about being yourself in a sense, mm. um, and worshiping yourself in, mm-hmm. in the way that you know how. Yeah, and that that people connect with that. I think totally. And there's no wrong way. Mm-hmm. I mean, I firmly believe that. Like, there is no everything is sacred in terms of your activeness, mm-hmm. activity in moving toward praise, and moving toward thanksgiving, and moving toward pain, and moving toward suffering, and you know, and there is no wrong way to be in that. And, you know, I honestly think, like, <laughs> I mean, if, if, like, I take it really far out. You know, if, 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 if I had, like, my dream experience that was outside of the church context, like, you know, I, I just would be anxious for everyone to experience their freest, truest self in that context. Because I think church is incredibly limiting for a lot of people around that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would, you know, and I pushed us, you know, I do, I've done some work, the workshop around improvisation yeah. because I want people to feel, um, <laughs> this is the uncensored Devin, but I mean, I want people to feel uncomfortable Yeah, because I think that that's also like, that's when we are able to reach deeper and figure out what it is that we need to give and mm-hmm. ask for and, you know, um, where we can draw on the other people in the room. Like, that's part of the collective experience is, like, knowing that I'm uncomfortable, everything's okay. Yeah. Um, so so I think the worship experience should not be comfortable. I think that it should be... Um, I think you should have songs that you don't get. You know, I think that you should have to hear your voice sometimes and not want to. I think that you should um, have to be silent awkwardly together. You know, all of those things. And so I'm really interested in continuing to move us into that spontaneity of like, where do we need to go today that really feels 
community driven and feels like it draws us in deeper to our collective experience of grace and love and peace and righteousness and goodness and understanding and wisdom and truth and all, you know all of those things that we know but we need to have articulated for us yeah. <laughs> hmm. I think that's a good place to end <laughs> that's great yeah thank you cool yeah thank you